Okay, thank you for your practice. Thank you for holding a, what to me felt like an inviting and quiet and still space. I might have told the story uh, here before, so some of you might know it about my very first experience learning to meditate was here in Cambridge, right on Mass Ave at a place called the International Buddhist Progress Society, which is now the Dumpling House. <laughs> that's progress. Different owners. That's, pro- that's progress. Yeah. That's progress. <clears throat> And uh, I did a, you know, I did a six or eight week introduction to meditation course. This is a long time ago. It was about 19, almost 20 years ago. I was living at an Inman Square at the time. And I ended up going to another Sangha, another community to practice after that introductory course. But what I remember still to this day, remember so well, was the degree to which I felt I cared for the environment. It was a, it just felt safe. It felt friendly. It was also quiet. It had a still quality to it. There were a lot of people really practicing, uh, and there was a there was actually a young novice monastic. I don't think they were living in that space. I think they were living in an apartment, but nonetheless, were sort of always there, caring for the space. I remember leaving that eight week program having some understanding of what I wanted through this practice but there were no no words I could put to it and later I would simply describe it as wanting the kind of stillness or silence inside myself that I felt inside that space that they created yeah so thank you for helping create that space tonight I'll say a few words about about right view, and Adam uh, maybe texted me yesterday, or maybe I texted Adam. Sometimes he checks in with me to see what the topic will be, so that he can post it on Facebook and people have an idea. There are you know, pros and cons to that. One, <laughs> one positive value is that it reminds people that Thursday's around the corner and. There's an opportunity to come and practice with others and to hear the Dharma. And sometimes the topic is appealing, and so people come. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what the cons are. So I have really mixed feelings about posting the topic on Facebook. As a general rule, Though I'm not a very authoritative teacher, I have a strong bias about how you should relate to this material. You want to know what it is? If there's a topic that you like, you should come. And if there's a topic that you don't like, you should definitely come. And that's true, actually, sometimes. Because we we, we come often to what validates our opinion or view of the world. Right? It substantiates us in some way. And then uh, we tend to shy away from uh, something we don't know about or something that might challenge our perspective. So, right view. How did we come to this? Well, Adam said that on some of the occasions recently that he had filled in, he had started to go through the Eightfold Path. 
and Adam had talked about right intention, right speech, and right action. And I didn't say this to Adam, but I could have said, why didn't you start at the beginning? <laughs> so I'll start at the beginning. Uh, right view is the start of uh, the Buddha's Eightfold Path, right? So many of you are aware of this. It might be more new uh, for some of you. Uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who became the Buddha, uh, offered a very simple map, eight steps or eight stages, uh, Patanjali credited uh, to the Yoga Sutras also gave us a you know an eight-step, eight-fold model for becoming a good person, uh, becoming a person who doesn't cause uh, suffering in the world, uh, an eight-fold path or practice for developing the mind, really cultivating and training the mind uh, based on the idea that it's really how we're relating to mental activity, thoughts and emotions and perceptions that are fundamentally responsible for how it is that we create suffering or create well-being in our environment, within ourselves and outside ourselves. And the third component of this uh, path is itself the wisdom that comes from uh, the practice, the formal practice of meditation, and I would like to say too, you know, the daily practice of bringing mindfulness into all of our exchanges with other people. Uh, so the wisdom comes from meditation, but it also comes from this idea of sila or ethical conduct, uh, most simply and ordinarily stated as being a good person. The word good can be problematic, you know, it can sound like the Buddha had uh, the right way of doing things and, and some other teacher didn't have the right way, or we get into this good versus evil dichotomy which can be problematic in certain religious contexts. But I'll, I'll, I'll equate good more with the Pali word sama, uh, which is right meaning in accord with how things are, in accord with how things work well, in accord with uh, how things work to reduce or alleviate suffering. So if we're doing things right or good, uh, we could say that we're doing things in a way that result in less suffering, right? So I'm trying to frame it in a way that's less dogmatic, maybe less religious, more pragmatic, uh, And even within saying it this way, sometimes people have some pushback. And, uh, but this is my understanding. So right view is sama, right, ditti, view, right view. So there's this underlying quality of rightness or goodness. Uh, again, that which reduces or eliminates, alleviates, confusion that would otherwise lead to suffering. All right. So what is this view? What is this what does this mean by view? And you'll see why the view is at the uh, in one model, a linear model, view is at the beginning or the top. And I like often uh, when the Eightfold Path is presented as a wheel with spokes going 
uh, in eight directions, if you will, connecting all of them to show that they're all equal. So as I talk about this, uh, I'd like to invite you to consider that right view is appropriately the foundation and all the different spokes of the Eightfold Path are equally important. One is not ultimately more important than the other. And I like to think that we circle through the Eightfold Path like this so that every time, or rather, as we move along the path, right view gets stronger and more clear. Right view gets stronger and more clear. We practice meditation, we practice uh, non-harm in daily life to the highest degree we can, and somehow that contributes to this ongoing development of right view. Okay. Now, that having been said, my opinion, and I don't really take this from the traditional teachings, but I went through a period of time about I think about a year and a half ago where I thought a lot about right view and I decided that everybody here has right view. Everybody has right view. So how could that be true? And I want to ask this as a question. How could that be true? How could everybody here, Thursday night, drop in meditation group, against the stream Boston. Some people have been sitting for a long time, some people pretty new, and everybody has right view. How so? I'll try. Okay, try. You're probably going to be right. I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so no one will like me and I'll be alone forever. Um, we'll turn around. <laughs> um, so the mind already knows and I am distracted by conditioning and there's delusion in there and so all of these outside stimulus all this outside stimulus affects and you know makes my brain not know or it, it makes my brain not be able to listen and to know that on a daily basis so I am out there not right speeching I am out there like mm. not knowing that suffering is like no matter what we do like suffering will naturally occur even if we're like Pollyanna running around okay um, so more like it's already in there we just like can forget okay good so this is like you this that you're presenting is like right view is in there and it's covered up basically yeah, yeah okay great good okay great Idea? I think all of us who come here come here for the right, for a good reason, which is a manifestation of right view. To mm. be able to want to practice is the right view in itself. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Nice Beautiful. Great. Good. So this gets close to how I justify my own view that we all have right view. On a certain level, there is the ability, uh, the humility to recognize that there's dukkha, the first noble truth, there is some suffering in life, right? And simultaneously, there's the underlying notion that Maybe it doesn't have to be experienced at the level 
that I or others experience it. So there's this uh, inclination toward change or transformation, right? And that really does bring us to the practice for most of us. That brings us to the practice. Even if, you know, some people will say, well, there's not a lot of acute suffering or trauma, but there's this existential longing. And, you know, we can see that as a form of pain too. You know, my life is incomplete and I want more. And that can be a form of dukkha as well. And so, you know, we come in contact with a teacher or a set of teachings or we read a Dharma book or uh, someone tells us that meditation is useful and so we're open, you know, we're open to learning more this idea of investigation through meditation practice or maybe for some people through also the study of the Dharma, the, the Buddha's teachings. So, on the one hand, we all have right view if you can, uh, if you can connect at all with that with that vantage point, and right view is cultivated and strengthened. We don't have uh, an ultimate level of right view, but we have enough to bring us to the path. So here we are, we're entering into this Eightfold Buddhist path, we're doing a lot of meditation, we're trying to be a good person, we're trying to cultivate wisdom. As we progress, we keep coming around to higher and higher levels, or uh, a greater level of clarity around this sama ditti right view. Now, classically, or uh, according to the early teachings, we can say that right view would include an embodied understanding of the Four Noble Truths, the foundational teachings of the of the Buddha, okay? Suffering or discontent, longing, dis-ease, restlessness. There's a, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche said, it's as if life is protruding and getting in our way. There's this, uh, there's this recognition uh, of an absence of total harmony, total peace, total contentment, right? Again, that's the humility I spoke of. We just see it clearly, you know? And we're willing to, we get to a point in our life where we're willing to work with it. We want to engage this uh, dukkha in Pali, the first noble truth. The second noble truth uh, is to understand and also to be in relationship with, to be investigating, to be exploring the cause described often as craving. So uh, the Buddha gives us this teaching, uh, craving, indicating that it's correlated to suffering. And so we're asked to investigate, is it true? I don't believe that we should take it as truth, despite that we're calling this fourfold teaching the Four Noble Truths. Because now we're into dogma, we're really into religion, and we have an idea that's imposed upon us from an outside source. The problem with that is now there's a higher order and we are not it. (laughs) Right? (coughs) We are not it. But as a system of exploration, it's almost like we've been given a map. And the Buddha is saying, travel the map. And if you come back around to the beginning, we can talk about whether 
there's any uh, truth in it for you is, and what would that be? Well, it would it would be that we've discerned something from the teachings that actually alleviate suffering. Okay, so we can say that that is good, that is right. Okay, and if we have a view based on that, we have samaditi, we have right view. So we're asked to explore this craving, this grasping, this strong wanting. And we have to include here strong aversion, strong not wanting. That this energy, this action, this compulsion that is playing itself out over and over again, day in, day out, is somehow splitting us off, if you will, from the present moment in a sense of wholeness, a sense, in a sense of wholesomeness. When I, when I do a lot of retreat practice, I sometimes have this feeling that starts to bubble up and then at first I can't name it. And then at some point I just, I'll just say, oh, that fe- I, there's a wholesome quality. There's a basic sense of goodness that's just coming through. Right? It seems to just be pervading my being. I, you know, it's, not, uh, it's not that I did anything particularly Skillful. I'm not even engaging with people. I'm just all by myself. In a, I mean, I'm with other people, but I'm in this silent retreat, and there's this there's sense of, there's a wholesome quality coming through. There's a goodness. So we get split off from that. <clears throat> and then the third noble truth, the alleviation, or the cessation, or the extinction, something... Uh, something goes away, uh, the, the fire and heat of dukkha, of um, greed, hatred, and delusion, the, the fire of that is put out. And there is, if you will, there's a coolness and there's a lightness. There's a, there's a radiance in one's being. Uh, really, truly, we can feel that when someone's heart and mind are clear and free. Uh, and open, and receptive, and non-combative. And this is cessation, this is the alleviation of dukkha. And you'll see here that that the teachings, uh, the teachings dovetail. So the, the fourth noble truth is the path, the path leading to the alleviation of dukkha. And that path is the noble eightfold path, which begins with right view. So you have dukkha, suffering, or discontent. I don't want to define it just as suffering. Uh, suffering, discontent, um, restlessness, longing, angst, etc., etc. And you can fill in your own words here. And then we have tanha, or craving, uh, literally translated as thirst. Right? We are like... Uh, We are like a person walking through the desert who hasn't drank in a long time and we we come to a a clean, fresh-flowing water source, right? And we're like, we're always, we have this thirst for something. That's what, and that's the pulling, the craving that pulls us away from the present moment. Cessation, and then path, and then path, is itself the the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path. So, 
we can think about this in a couple different ways. We have moments on the cushion that wake us up. There's a certain kind of insight and we can map that fresh perspective on top of this fourfold teaching such that it just makes more, oh yeah, I see. There was a particular way that I often found myself anxious or preoccupied or uh, unable to engage difficult conversations with that person and I saw the I saw the cause. I really I'm starting to understand how it is that I'm not able to meet that situation, right? And I'm able to see if I choose differently, if you will, that there's an alleviation of that discomfort, right? And all of this learn we could just say generally that this this developing capacity is happening in the flow of dharma it's happening in the flow of the eightfold path this integrated effort to be skillful kind mindful wise etc and so it just starts to make sense so this is helpful to me right so the view simplified is that working with our mind being a good person leads to beneficial results for me and for others, right? That's just a very simple way of saying it, right? We could also say that uh, right view is simply knowing how things work. We know how things work, okay? The other teaching that sometimes uh, we find associated with right view is the teaching of the three characteristics or the three marks of existence. The three marks or characteristics are again dukkha, so we have dukkha repeated, um, the not-self nature of me sitting here at the front of the room. Uh, this teaching is not to say that I don't exist, you can see me, I can feel my own bodily presence here, I can feel a little bit of pain in my right shoulder, a little bit of an ache in the belly. I can feel you all looking at me and I go, my, my, the way I hold my own mind uh, toggles between uh, self-consciousness and self-confidence. Right? I, can f- I can feel that as I communicate to you. So there's a self here. The not-self, anatta, the, one of the three characteristics, is saying that we, that's all of us, hold, keep, maintain a particular understanding of self that could be more accurate. That's what this teaching is saying. It could be more in line with right view. It could have more wisdom built into it. And that is simply to say that this experience is not as solid as I typically perceive it to be. That really... There's a great range of physical sensations, emotions, thoughts, memories, fantasies, projections, and that these are all rising and passing away moment by moment by moment by moment, super, super fast. And there's not a lot of space around them and there's not a lot of space between them. So we take that flow of mental and physical experience as me or I, right? And this is a complicated me or I, at least the one sitting up here on this cushion. And I'm always trying to make sense of that. 
And it's my style or manner or way of making sense of this experience that results in tana, that results in this craving, which is the second noble truth. And then the third characteristic, uh, anicca in Pali is impermanence. And you'll see, I hope, when I explain this briefly, its relationship to anatta, right? Because it's just another way of talking about the same idea. This experience of me is less solid. Also, it's true to say, or accurate to say, that this sense of self is not... uh, is not occurring, is not independent of, but rather dependent upon other conditions. My environment, uh, feelings are cultivating, feelings are conditioning thoughts, thoughts are cultivating feelings, etc., etc., etc. And all of this, again, is consistently rising and passing away or changing. Everything is impermanent. So when we have right view, We understand impermanence. We understand that all things are always shifting and moving and changing. There's no distinct self that we perceive there is who can actually manage that natural law in such a way that will meet our needs. And so if we drop that, the that is tanha, and if we drop it, dukkha, the last characteristic, fades away and there's greater contentment there's greater ease there's a kind of space and what happens we see more clearly what are we seeing more clearly the same thing we just keep seeing with fresh eyes this framework of the three characteristics and this framework of the four noble truths and right view just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger what happens when right view gets stronger doubt which is an obstacle, doubt, which is the condition that makes effort more difficult, starts to dissolve. And faith, not in a religious sense, but a basic trust in oneself, and in the practice, in the whole Eightfold Path, gets naturally stronger. We're learning how to live in relationship to our own mind and our own life. It happens very, very naturally. So again, what happens as right view gets stronger? Doubt starts to deteriorate. We do have doubt. We doubt ourselves. We doubt the teacher sometimes. We doubt the teachings. Maybe we doubt uh, the Buddha to some extent, right? There's doubt. Shows up all the time. To a lesser or greater extent, depending on the situation, depending on who you are, your history, your relationship with spiritual teachings, how you're identified with the teacher that you're working with or the teachers, plural, that you're working with. All of that plays into it, but there's always going to be some doubt. The doubt is actually not all negative. The doubt creates a kind of healthy skepticism that fuels investigation, right, which keeps us in the place of of, uh, Reflection, contemplation leading to self-awareness. So again, we're not taking information given to us by the Buddha, given to us by the teacher, and taking it as fact or true, right? It's just inquiry. Teacher, 
says something, teachings are delivered, or I hear the teachings, I'm going to investigate them in my own experience, and I'm going to see, fundamentally, do they work? Is this relevant to my life? To the extent that you have some success with that, and the answer is yes, doubt decreases, right view is getting stronger. When this happens, effort becomes less laborious, less uh, burdensome. Uh, we stop talking so much about discipline. And we start to, we, we get into the flow of Dharma. Right? It's, it's almost like we, at the beginning, we know how important it is to meditate. So we get up in the morning and meditate, or we meditate before bed. You know, it's like, if you stop brushing your teeth, your breath is going to smell bad. And things aren't going to go well. <laughs> At least if you get close to people. <laughs> If you stop meditating, uh, it's like things don't go well, particularly if you get close to people. (laughs) (laughs) So you meditate more, you come to meditation group more, you hear the Dharma more, and over time there's a sense of, this is not taking something away. I'm not losing a half an hour because I'm meditating. It's not that sense of like, how do I fit this into my life goes away. It's more like, oh, my life is getting easier, so I'm just going to keep practicing. And then, the, and then the discipline starts to fade away. We're just in this flow of Dharma. We are, we are sitting more regularly, and we also know how to bring it into everything we do. So it's more seamless. This distinction between meditation and the rest of our life starts to fade away. We're just living with more awareness. So, which is which is always a practice in and of itself. Practicing awareness in daily life. So, I hope that's helpful. You now have between Adam and I, you have four of the Buddha's noble eightfold path. Maybe Adam and I can divide up the other four. Adam will do some more. Adam will we'll do some more teaching, and so maybe we'll divide them up and go through all of that. Well, and we'll have to do it again because, you know, we don't remember all of this, of course, but maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll finish them together or something. Adam and I will talk about it. Um, so I hope this is helpful in some, in some way. I say that a lot. I was on the phone with someone in New York City when I met Adam for a coffee earlier today and I was hanging up and I say, I often say to the group, and I'll say to you now, I hope this conversation was at least a little bit helpful. Uh, actually, I hope it was a lot helpful, but we only need a little bit, actually. Right? We just, and I like to think we just take, a, we take, you know, we like 10, 15%, and we integrate that and then we get another 10 or 15% when we, when we hear the same teachings later. Okay, so let's have a little conversation. Maybe, uh, maybe you have some questions.